This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, everyone. A Dash of Gingers presents Taskmaster Australia coverage for silent podcasts. I'm the Scarlet Harlot, Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And I'm with my co-host, the undunked ginger nut, Sean Bryan. Hello, Sean. Hello, hello. I'm Sean Bryan, and I promise that if you call me, I'll find any excuse to hang up as soon as possible. Clunk, he's gone. That's lucky we've got someone else here. We're joined by someone who replied to our invitation with a hundred times yes. If we ask you on our podcast, you have to do better than that from now on. It's librarian, survivor, and a games mistress in her own right, Lisa Holmes. Hello. Hello. Hello, you two. Now, I've got a question for you both. Are you ready for some fun and a song about Libya? I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, I love that, that is... so much. How many times a day that... do you sing that? <laughs> a lot in the last week, honestly. <laughs> I love for anyone who hasn't watched uh, Taskmaster New Zealand, that is going to seem like the strangest intro, but they'll be like, that was catchy. Did Lisa make that up? Like, she's brilliant. I should follow her. Yeah, I'm a great musician. Yeah, follow me for more original music. <laughs> what is your relationship with Taskmaster, Lisa? What are your favourite seasons, players, tasks? Give us everything. I'm so glad you asked. So 
I started watching Taskmaster as soon as it started showing on New Zealand TV. There was this um, weird channel back in the days when, you know, you were sort of a bit cemented to TV channels. <laughs> and they said they were going to put on the show, you know, late one night. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give this a go. And I was just like, hooked. so from season one, episode one, I was in. Watched them all. Really loved them. Rewatched them all recently. But I never watched Taskmaster New Zealand because I was sort of saving it because I heard it was good. and oh. But um, then when you asked me to watch the Australian one, I was like, oh, I better watch the New Zealand one. So I've, in the last week, I've watched season one of that and part of season two, and it's it really holds up. It's really good. So my yeah, favorite season is the original one, but I really like season nine because uh, the one that's the one Rose Maafeo was on. So happy when a New Zealander was on it. And yeah, my favorite players, I sort of have three categories for this. So I've got just like Amazing Woman. So that's um, Rose Maafeo, Sophie Duca, and uh, Desiree Birch, of course. Um, then my second one, which probably is a bit more close to home, I'm probably more of this category than an amazing woman, is like brainy people trying to like, you know, outsmart the rules but end up getting humbled. <laughs> so that's um, Dave Gorman, Richard Osman, and uh, Victoria Corrin Mitchell. I just enjoy them. And then the um, other people I really like, I love Mal Giudice's just attitude. She's just so friendly and nice, and I just really aspire to be like that. And she, she, she does well as well. Um, Marwan Rizwan, he just can't do any wrong by my thing. His making the cow vanish, I, I love that so much. Every time I see that, it's so clever. It's like redirection, everything. I actually, I was looking over his record, and he didn't really do that well in that many tasks, but the, the ones that he did, he just, oh, he smashed it. He was so good. And Mike Wozniak, I really like as well. But part of the reason why I really like him is because he was in the original Taskmaster show at the Edinburgh Fringe, which I don't know if either of you have seen the little bits that are on YouTube. No. Oh, my gosh. Okay. If you haven't, go if, if you – okay, maybe finish listening to this podcast, but then go onto YouTube and look up the original Taskmaster Edinburgh Fringe, and there's just like a five-minute clip or something of the, the original one. And so some people that are in that who have been on the show are Mike Wozniak, Mark Watson, and Tim Key. He was one of the main people. And that's why he has so much to do with it now. Um, yeah, I think that's my Taskmaster history. And how would you do on Taskmaster, do you think? You'd be the brainy one trying to outsmart the task? Yes. I. It might be the same as Survivor, actually, like boring TV but do well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I sometimes it's really satisfying when you see players do things that you would do. So in this episode we just watched a couple of the ways people approach Nina approach tasks. I, that was exactly what I would have done. So I was like, oh, that's cool. You sort of it's a nice, nice feeling when you see someone approach something really, really abstract but take the same angle on it you would. Oh, well, something I think about when I think about Taskmaster, which Taskmaster Australia doesn't do too well, is what costume would I wear? Mm. I think that's an important thing to consider. I do love that I noticed even more this week that how Luke McGregor's in the Ghostbusters uniform. I noticed more and more this week that you can see the like ghost kind of peeking out from under where they've just stuck a Taskmaster thing on it. It's so cool. There have been some costumes that I've had. Phil Wang, of course, famously, the uh, yellow tracksuit with, with the Phil Wang showing. Uh, I like that. I would want something I could move in. Uh, and something that would, would be breathable and something I'd be happy to get wet. So I'd probably go for a bit of a boring t 
technical running fabric uh, outfit. <laughs> I do love the like weird mix that we get though, because like how in the most recent Taskmaster UK we had Fern Brady in like the superhero like spacey outfit, but then back in like season eight you get Paul Sinner in an old bathrobe. I always wonder, does anyone know this? Did, was that a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, or was that just uh, just an old man reference? Or why why did he wear that? Does anyone know? Did you think he was trying to be Dent? Ask the Dent. Maybe, but I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, that never occurred to me. But it could be right. He's about he's about the the, the right age to have been very influenced by those books. I think. Mm. Be a shame yeah. if it was a if it was a reference that people missed. And just moving on to Taskmaster Australia, as you've started talking about it, your overall thoughts on the season so far? Just two episodes in, but uh, you're not so hot on their outfits. <laughs> yeah, I wish, wish they had worn more outfits. I would have loved more diversity in the cast. Sing it, sister. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We could so say that... that for Australian Survivor as well, uh, just to mm. get off the rails slightly. Do yeah. better. Yeah. But I do love tom gleason the host i love good how he takes silly things really seriously i think it's important when you're the taskmaster um you used a word last week sarah which i really like i'm capricious <laughs> he's incredibly capricious which is exactly what you need for this role and he had a quote um, in the first episode which i wrote down because it just tickled me so much and it was quite early and as soon as he said i was like yes this is going to be amazing he said there was a rules, I think Tom, the other Tom was asking him something, oh, you know, it depends what way you want to interpret it. And he said, oh, I'm going to interpret it for maximum damage. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is my taskmaster. I'm here. Excellent. Yes, we're <laughs> quite fond of him uh, here. Let us get into episode two. It's a full, it's a recap with spoilers, everybody. So if you haven't watched it, don't get cross with us. If you keep listening, it's called Keep It Clean and Flowing which was a lovely title, and then we found out what it meant. Sean, why don't you take us through the first prize task? Yeah, so for the prize task this week, we had the most satisfying thing to touch, which as soon as uh, Tom announced that, I was very excited because I felt like it was a bit of an improvement from last week's most beautiful thing. But then I'm not too sure about the items that we got through in it throughout it. So we had Jimmy bringing in kinetic sand. I wondered about the interpretation of this the most mm. satisfying thing to touch and it did come up on it some of the the later ones whether it was the touching or the touchy yeah. or it, yeah. it was a little bit all over the place for me how about you Lisa? I agree yeah no I, I agree I agree with what you said and yes I agree with what you said oh, yeah because so many of these <laughs> were all about the impact of the touch not the actual touching and it should have been or in my interpretation, the thing that when you touch it, you're like, oh, yes, that is amazing. Like my idea of what I'd want to bring in, because I always think about it being satisfying when I do it, is when you have a set of car keys and you press that little button and the keyblade flicks out. Every time I do that, it feels so good. And like that's what I would have brought in, because I'm like, that's what I think of. But a lot of these were just about, if you touch something, how that thing feels. Yes. Elisa, do you know what you would have brought in? Yeah, I thought about this. Um, I think I would have bought like a hundred dollar bill. Oh, that would be very like, satisfying. You, yeah, you have a very nice feeling because you know that you have a hundred dollars to do something with, and it also has like a bit of a funny sort of yeah, creaky nice feeling. Yeah, I was thinking more like a, a fabric, like not necessarily a velvet, mm. perhaps a silk that would run through your fingers. There's a beautiful the golden oh. orb spider. 
spins this amazing golden silk and you can make things mm. out of it that are so I would think I would think very much on that tactile way I think you're right Sean mm. it was what the effect of the touch had on the objects yeah. like particularly a prostate I don't know if it's <laughs> very satisfying to touch a prostate I am told it is very satisfying to have your prostate touched and that was like a perfect encapsulation of how the thinking wasn't yeah, quite right. Because I don't part. think a doctor doing prostate exams is like seeing that on his <laughs> list for the day and just being like, yes, this is what I get to do right now. This is the best day. I've got four prostate exams. I'm going to go home. I'm satisfied. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Yes. Yeah. I think, and I loved I, how much Tom dove into that issue about, it's like, well, but is this the toucher or is this the touch E or what's the thing? I was just like, yes, this is the detail you need to really make a prize task interesting. Yes, because, I mean, I'm on record as saying I think the prize task and the in-studio task are generally the weakest of the episode, but when they get it right, it's so good. Mm. I was very pleased that Danielle got five points on the sensitive weed because that is satisfying to touch because you touch it and it curls mm -hmm. so you it's not necessarily the sensation of touching it but the effect of your touch on yeah. the weed that you see so it's your satisfaction i think that's the thing because on both of the examples that you two gave the second that you said it i could feel those feelings or imagine those feelings whereas and when danielle talked about that i could feel that like you could kind of have that sensation just from sense memory whereas the others like um nina's with her the pin press thing with her ass print in it I didn't really feel anything like I couldn't imagine that feeling and even imagining that feeling I imagine it being like hard and like cold yeah I didn't get I'm that I didn't get that mm. one at all mm. <laughs> yeah yeah they did take a funny slant on this on this prize particular prize task I thought and I was very glad Danielle won as well because yes that yes. touching that weed hella satisfying <laughs> and I love that you would share the weed if, the, if it was a big enough patch but if there was only a small amount you would defend it and you would be the only one who would be allowed to touch it she is just delightful I just I love having her on my on my television screen so and the only one we haven't talked about is Luke yes. and the Union Valley spot on your hand so what do you think about that one I buy that it's satisfying for it to be touched, but it's not. It actually works, everybody, by the way. If you don't know what it is, you just the little flappy bit between your thumb and your forefinger. You can press it if you're feeling tense or if you have a headache. But it is, again, being touched that is the satisfaction. Not, I mean, when you do it to yourself, you're obviously touching yourself, so you're satisfied. But it is not satisfactory for the toucher rather than the touchy. Yeah. Lisa, do you know this Union Valley spot? I didn't know yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, I think I didn't know that's what it's called. No, I think with so much of Taskmaster, Master, <laughs> with so much <laughs> of Taskmaster, when you either find out the trick to the task or it's a really good prize task or something, you want to go ah. But I think with a lot of these, is like ah. Ah, you know, like even this tan thing, we're talking about it now. We're like, oh, do, oh yeah, I guess. Do you know that thing? Oh. And it's just not the sound you want to be making, I don't think, for this show. <laughs> Sorry, again, what was the sound you want to make? Ah. And what's the sound you don't want to make? Ah. Ah. Yes, yes, I'll buy that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing, because like when someone brings in a, the perfect prize for a prize task, when it pops up on the screen, you're just like, oh, and it's you didn't think of that. But as soon as they show it, you're like, that is exactly what that means. And I would have never thought of that in a million years. Mm. And that's why it sometimes, especially in other series, when someone has you think has nailed it and they don't get the points, you feel upset about it because you <laughs> feel they're deserving of that because they nailed what you thought for that task. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even if it's something obvious, like say say I had brought in a piece of velvet and you go, oh, well, yes, well, anybody could have brought that in. Nonetheless, I would have expected to be about middle of the pack with the obvious. So even when the obvious ones, it's like, yeah, yeah, that fulfilled the brief. It's when they fulfill the brief, but it's not satisfying. Interestingly, the word satisfying was in the task. Uh, and we are going to have one of those shortly where somebody did the right thing, but it was not it was not really anything, but it had to be honoured with points. So let's go to task two. It's called Let the Cat Out of the Bag. Uh, once you touch a bag, you must open it. Fewest bag openings wins. And your time starts meow. So, Sean, this was a circle, apparently a circle or a random arrangement of red bags out on the lawn, which had stuffed animals in them. Don't worry, everybody, it wasn't a real cat. What was your overall thought on the setup of this task? So, firstly, just your time starts meow killed me because it's the first time they've really leaned into a stupid pun. And that is my sense of humour. I love that to start with. And I think this task was an incredible idea and so clever and so much time and effort would have gone into the preparation and setup of it but then the task got broken so quickly that it maybe didn't reach the heights that it could have reached if i think there was probably too many elements in it that could break the task other than the one that they wanted uh, which we ended up seeing with nina but we got the first instance of jimmy going along and working out their actual or what they were hoping would happen with the task, I'm assuming, which is that he was going around opening bags essentially at random and seeing what was inside. And we also got from um, Tom, one of the first little bits of him injecting his own humour to it was when Jimmy said, ice, ice. Tom immediately replied with baby and Jimmy didn't get it. And then Tom had to explain his joke to Jimmy, which I really thought was funny. I don't know, what did either of you, Sarah, what did you think about Jimmy and the way he tackled the task? Well, a bit of a bullet agate, and then he decided that the stuffed animals that had ice in them was cold, chili was hot. At one point he picked up a frankfurter and called it a chorizo. I mean, if you open enough bags, you'll find a cat. Jimmy and Julia both both found, found that out. But there was a way to be a bit more efficient on this task, Lisa. What would you have done? I would have done exactly what Nina did, which is why I said I, um, yeah, might be boring TV, which is <laughs> if you could see inside the bags through looking through that little hole, I would just do that. And yeah, like she said to Tom, well, maybe you shouldn't have designed the task like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised they showed that one second because I feel like they definitely did not want that to happen. And when that happened, mm -hmm. it doesn't make for the best TV in terms of someone um, completing the task. I thought they might have said that for the, oh, but I guess it wouldn't make great for a final one either. So where do you put that overall? I loved how they edited this task, that the audience discovered the trick to it along with the contestants. So I think the order they put everyone was actually perfect for that to happen. I thought they, they took a situation where people had approached it a different way and one person had sort of done something a bit random. And you had a lot of those very satisfying, oh, feelings mm -hmm. so, so what was the way to approach was that the bags are actually laid out in the shape of a cat with the word cat spelt out in the middle of it with an arrow pointing to the bag that has the cat in it uh, Luke and Danielle find the arrow Luke figures out if he runs up onto the balcony he can look down and see what the story is did Danielle just see it from the ground level or did she go up as well or did I miss that 
She went up as well. I think. Yeah, oh, she, she went, went up, up as well. well. I think she saw the arrow and the bag, but went up just to double check to make sure that she was doing mm. things correctly. Because that would have yeah. been my initial thing. But as soon as I see things on Taskmaster laid out on the ground, especially in front of that balcony, I'd be mm. thinking I need to go up there and get an aerial view. Yeah, nothing's and, random. But I think even just from a task design perspective, that drone shot looked awesome. And just made for such a great visual. Because even then when we had Julia later on, who Julia was delivering on the hot mess side of the task and just opening things at random. So good. Just we seeing the shot change and more and more things be out of the bags was really, really great. Plus she was noticing the drone. Yeah. Waving to the drone. She didn't take that next step, which is why is there a drone? <laughs> Another way that was very clever in that task was they changed the camera angle. So at the start, there was no way as the audience that you could even have an idea that it formed a picture or anything. But then once some people had gone up on the balcony, they shot it from lower on the hill. So you could see the a little bit of the arrow and the letters a bit more easily. So they really thought about how they presented that task so the audience could enjoy it as well which I really liked. Yes I wonder what I would have done I, I feel like I might have peaked like Nina but quite honestly I could have just been randomly opening like Julia who opened 71 bags before she found the cat so she gets one point. <laughs> yeah I, I think it's really impressive that Danielle didn't open a bag until she worked out what the actual trick to it was because I think in any task like this my initial reaction would probably be to open the first one just to get try and get a general idea of what mm. is going on and then work it out from there and to have the like composure to stop take stock of everything that's around and then work it out is really really clever yeah so she only opens one bag she gets five points and despite luke going up onto the balcony it's four bags for him because he opened three before he thought to go up. I mean, the interesting thing too here is that time's got absolutely nothing to do with it. The marking is on fewest bag openings wins. So you, in fact, have as much time as you want. But I think the idea of the time, well, they had to have the time starts meow. But they always have your time starts now, but some of them are not time tasks. And I would perhaps be a little pressed and think, oh, yeah, I've got to get on with it. But, in fact, you don't. So so well done to Danielle. Five points again for this mm. one. Lisa, take us through task three. Task three was, to my mind, a little bit ageist. Um, they had to call an older family member and then make them hang up on you. But if they suspect you want them to hang up on you, you get disqualified. Um, and your time started when they answered the call. thought it was a bit ageist. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, we all know elderly relatives. They're so lonely. Isn't social isolation such a silly thing? <laughs> we all know they're just going to blur on about garbage. Isn't this going to be funny? I'm like, no, it's not nice. I was so glad at least one person actually talked to their elderly relative. Well, I mean, two people talked to them, but I was glad when Luke actually had a conversation. But oh, my God, at the end when his mum's like, oh, I love you so much. Thanks so much for ringing. This has been such a good chat. I was, like, almost crying. I can't believe they aired this one, honestly. <laughs> to just think about their lives a little bit, maybe. Sean, is it because uh, young people don't pick up the phone? Definitely for the most part. Like, although young people start to get onto using voice messages other than text messages, and that's starting to stress me out when people send a voice message rather than texting. But... I thought this task, this task had the like the potential to go terribly, but somehow the endearing side of especially Danielle and Luke's performance made it 
really kind of heartwarming in the outcome. And even though that was the poorest performances, it led to the best parts of the task. Yeah, so Danielle called her Nana and was kind of making sounds that she could be either having a medical episode or be in danger in some way. And after doing that for a little while, immediately felt horribly guilty and started apologizing, saying that she knows she'll be disqualified. I think she asked Tom prior to doing that if she could. And then she just, you could see in her face, she felt so horrible about the fact that she tried to essentially prank call her Nana and just wanted to make sure that she wasn't worried because she has such a sweet and caring Nana. Adorable. She was making little sort of gulping noises like loop, 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 loop. And her poor Nana was was indeed getting... I thought even before she said it, I thought that woman's going to be very worried. Julia wins, low effort uh, and wins. It's Julia's low effort I am so pleased with. And she either gets one or one point or five points, it seems. She calls her agent uh, who hangs up on her after 17 seconds because she doesn't say anything. So she calls her agent, doesn't say anything. Agent hangs up after 17 seconds. Uh, is this an elderly relative, uh, Lisa? What's going on here? I wouldn't say so, but I, uh, she did. She was one of the couple of people who said, well, you know, my, my relationships with my family or my access to elderly relatives isn't big, so I've just chosen this other person. And I assume there was maybe some sort of behind-the-scenes chat maybe with Tom or other people in the production where they said, oh, look, actually, you know, all my grandparents are dead. Oh, can I call this person? I don't know. I, I would have liked, when they did a, a similar thing to this in the UK version of Taskmaster where they um, had to call someone and do a series of sort of funny tasks while they're on the phone to them. Mm. I thought that worked because you had to have the um, you had to have the people talking. Like it, it would have been a very boring task if every single person had just tried to pretend that they'd accidentally dialed the person and never said anything, and the person hung up. I recall there being a task. I think it was in Taskmaster New Zealand where they were calling up and they had to order a pizza. But there was a list of banned words they couldn't use while ordering the pizza, and they had to order a very specific pizza. And so yeah. I think having an element like that, rather than making them hang up, in the phone call you have to say all of these things, but if your relative asks about why you're saying these things, you're disqualified. To add that mm. element where it's not mean, but it still is going to give us that funny kind of outcome. Mm. Yes. I mean, I love Nina just baldly. She she rang her friend Beck, who is her chosen family, and I thought, yes, Nina, break the task. And I yes. love Nina's reaction afterwards in the studio when she was talking about the fact that her friend hung up on her after, just over a minute after seeming that she was in danger and just being like, well, clearly she doesn't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know if I'd like to get any of these uh, phone calls. I don't have any elderly relatives. I'm I am the elderly relative, so perhaps if I get a strange phone call one of these days, I'll know who it is. I liked the. I don't know if you're up to it yet, Lisa. In um, Taskmaster New Zealand, they have to ring. Oh no, it was it was season one. They have to ring someone they were at primary from school. From the with. primary school, yes. yes. I love that. I love that. I actually, I was outside Lee Hart's primary school yesterday, and I was like, oh, I should take a picture and send it through to Sarah and Sean, but I didn't. So <laughs> just imagine. Well, I took a very funny picture. We will imagine, and then we'll. <laughs> Imagine you posted it to at a dash of gingers. <laughs> uh, Sean, take us on to task four. Yeah, so with task four, we had do the bravest thing with this ream of paper. Bravest thing wins. You have 20 minutes. And 
I think I'm not sure about this task in terms of, I think just the outcomes of it weren't what I was picturing for doing the bravest thing with a ream of paper. Sarah, what did you think about task four? I imagine when you're designing a task, you think, what do we hope for? Like, what's the great, what's the good outcome? And, you know, will someone get it spectacularly wrong? Will they get it spectacularly right? I, I do, I'll tell you what I do like about this task. I like tasks that aren't, like if it's um, fastest wins and you do the time, then the person with the fastest time wins and there's no value judgment on it. I do like tasks, and this is the one for this week, where you have a value judgment from the taskmaster on how well you did. So given that we had one that was number of bags and one that was number of minutes, there's no leeway there apart from if you're going to disqualify someone or not, and Danielle did get disqualified. With this one, it was uh, there was going to be a value judgment from the taskmaster, and I think those are the most lively when we return in studio from seeing the, the videos. I think that gives us the most variety of possible outcomes. I think it was actually, I think the task actually had potential to have some great outcomes but the things that we got from the contestants weren't reaching those kind of levels. Like my initial reaction when they had this ream of paper is I was surprised no one did anything around paper cuts with the ream of paper. Like whether it was like having like paper ninja stars thrown at them and being like, whoa, whoa, this is so dangerous. But we got these really bizarre things by comparison. I found Jimmy's umbrella. Um, so yeah, for people who haven't watched, Jimmy has this recurring dream where he gets poked in the eye with the naked tip of an umbrella stem. And I found that whole sequence of him braving that fear with the ream of paper. The ream of paper was really very, very secondary though. Uh, it's very tense and exciting and thrilling. And I, that was a real high point of the task to me. The other ones I was just like, oh, okay, but wow, that umbrella near his eye. Oh, like now I'm a bit afraid of it. And I certainly wasn't afraid of it before. Well, I can relate because I'm quite tall and people carry their umbrellas and the spokes are at my eye height quite often. So I, I completely uh, related to that. I mean, I agree with you. It was exciting. I particularly liked when he had to have umbrellas coming past him and be standing there bravely holding the ream of paper because he is looking at the literal meaning of do the bravest thing with this stream of paper. So he was doing a brave thing and he had the paper with him. And I think though, although uh, Tom awarded him four points for this, he did note that, you know, basically he was technically right, the best kind of right, and the least entertaining kind of right. I'll tell you what, I did not have this fear before this task. And now I definitely do have the fear of umbrella spokes going into my eye. But you're tall, Sean. Why Don't you notice as they walk along unheedingly that umbrella spoke coming right by your eye? I think I clearly just must avoid the rain. <laughs> maybe you, uh, maybe you're a sugar cube. I loved Nina's. Nina decided that vulnerability was the bravest thing to be, so she wrote "My heart is broken" with the paper. Loved it. I she really only got liked three it. points for that, but I loved it because I feel like Nina and Danielle had the most creative kind of um, solutions to this task, and I just loved like using the drone again to get that big aerial shot looked really great and kind of the going into a deeper message of it which a lot of them seem to want to do to start with in terms of seeing the paper and being like i should write something that's brave or deep uh, which we then get into with julia but i feel like nina delivered on that in a really effective way 
I found it very relatable the way Nina had this battle between wanting to be vulnerable but also acknowledging it was quite cringe. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so relatable to me. Oh, I really want it authentically. Oh, no, is this too far? Oh, I think it's just that pull, push and tug of wanting to be vulnerable and then wanting to retract. And I was, oh, yes, Nina, very, very relatable. Yes. Danielle makes a sword and a shield. So she was the one that actually made something with the paper. I suppose Luke made a head wrap, but Danielle was the only one that took the paper and made something with it. And I thought it was a pretty decent sword and shield. Uh, she went to fight the geese, but unfortunately the geese who were on uh, Poo Pond uh, just flew away. So two points for her. I found this one so much funnier than I expected because just the the visuals of her running with her paper sword and shield, trying to get to the geese, and then the geese just immediately bailing was so <laughs> funny. And it kind of made it seem like she was aiming to do something brave, but the brave thing she was trying to do didn't want her to do it. <laughs> yes. Uncooperative geese. Have you ever been attacked by a goose, Lisa? Nearly. And, yeah, I agreed with everything everyone said on that show. Yeah, they're scary. Very aggressive. Totally different beast than ducks. Mm-hmm. Do that little thing where they, like, lift up their wings like they're flexing while walking towards you, and it's really intimidating. <laughs> Yeah. I love geese. Right. I was running in Centennial Park this morning and there was geese walking towards the runners. I thought, well, you should be going the other way, please and thank you. <laughs> and another thing Danielle said, which I really liked, was um, I don't like the way centipedes move. Yes. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is just say more things like this when you're, you know, roughing on a task. Often that can be one of the funnest things. The random things and different thoughts people say you insight into their brainstorming process as they they see these tasks for the first time and they consider what to do. And then uh, Julia genuinely felt brave. Mm. Although as Tom said, like whoop de do rudely, but she Yeah, I feel like she genuinely was saying, she said some political things, including that we should be a republic, which she says she's never been on record as before. What did you think of this, Sean? I think that it was, yeah, like you said, genuinely brave, but probably to win Tom over, she would have had to go a little bit further into those kind of views and go a little bit more extremely left-wing. But I like the idea because I like the idea of someone using the paper for that purpose of writing something brave And she did go through a lot of different um, items that were things that are a little bit taboo to talk about if people have opposing views. But yeah, like Tom aptly pointed out, to be a little bit left-wing and in the theatre kind of industry, probably not the most uncommon. But saying it, I think, if you know, particularly for Julia, she's in light entertainment. She's not a satirist. She's a sort of a situationally funny. uh, It's not a stance that she's ever taken before. I did love when Tom was talking to her about this and talking about the fact that she tried to justify it by saying a lot of people get into this industry and then when they have success, their political views change as they start to have investment properties and therefore they're more in line with the politics that are going to be giving them tax breaks on that. And then Tom said, I believe you've mistaken the show for the project. (laughs) Yes. Tom is like perfection. Yes, yes. It makes me want to, like, hunt out more things he's done. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm a fan of his now for sure. Oh, good. I mentioned his uh, uh, one of his specials, which you can get mm. on uh, Ten Play. The name escapes me currently, but it is in the, in the show note. 
So let's go to the live studio task. Wearing your chopstick gloves, which are oven mitts with chopsticks on them, de-pineapple the pizzas and put the pineapple in your bowls. If you want a new pizza, you may request one from Tom Cashman by asking him accurately and politely in Italian. The contestant with the most pineapple juice extracted wins. You have 120 seconds. Take us through this, Lisa. Uh, yeah, so basically they had a huge pile of pizza. Oh, in uh, English or in perfect Italian? I don't know the word for pizza, but I know formaggio is cheese. You don't know the word for pizza? Is it pizza? Pronounced I... slightly differently, but that is the, that is the word. <laughs> I, I got by in Italy if it was a line from an opera. I could, <laughs> I could, yeah. It must have been a very dramatic you, life. You say it, it like was an opera? Well, you know, I, instead of saying scusa, I'd say mi dispiace, which is like, oh, I'm terribly yeah. sorry. I assume there is an Italian word for pineapple, but it doesn't seem like there should be an Italian word for pineapple. Pineapple doesn't seem like a very Italian thing. And it's also, if you try and get pineapple on pizza in Italy, it's kind of frowned upon. So, What's your opinion of pineapple on pizza? I love pineapple. Pineapple is amazing. <gasps> it should be pizza it should be on burgers it should be on a lot of things because that kind of like sweet acidity is wonderful i'm guessing you're not quite on that wavelength i like pineapple but not on pizzas or should i call it ananas Ooh, ananas ananas i should know that because of course it's a delicious gelato flavor mm, refreshing mm, refreshing uh pineapple on pizza lisa yeah yes but I try to avoid excess sugar. So just putting pineapple ah. onto like a savoury pizza would be like, it's not great. So if I was in some sort of Groundhog Day scenario, we could like just eat whatever I want with no consequences for my health, then yes, pineapple on pizza all day long. Yes. I do love that we've evolved into like the classic internet debate from being meant to be talking about the price touch, just being like every business online ever, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yeah, comment, comment below. We'll be looking through the comments and we'll give you a secret emoji if you do the right one. If you want pineapple on, on pizza, put the pineapple emoji. And if you don't, put the pizza emoji. It does work quite well Perfect. for tweeting us back and letting us know your thoughts on pineapple on pizza. But to get back to this task. Oh, I, yes, Sean. I did think this was an improvement on last week's live studio task. And I think it was a weird mix of it wasn't the best task but the chaos of the task was fun. So mm. having that extra element of having to ask Tom for another pizza in Italian while half the cast didn't know Italian and Luke asking if it was like proper Italian or Chris Pratt as Mario Italian was a specifically funny part of the task. Mm. And then the different ways they tackled the task, like Nina going face first into the pizza to get the pineapple out was really, but She really got fun. a lot of bacon in her juice though. Mm. Yeah, she needed a secondary staging area. I think the mouth strategy was a good one, but then she should have had she should have put that pineapple onto the side of the plate or onto the side of the box and then done a secondary lot into the I think that would have really increased her efficiency and decreased her bacon quotient. I think yes. my strategy for this task would have been to use the chopsticks like a fork and just prod pineapple to get onto the chopstick and then use the other one to clear it off into the glass and just be like bang, 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 bang off into the glass, bang, 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 rather than trying to pick it up because that's going to be slippery and go all over the place. Yes, I mean, uh, Jimmy just turned his pizza vertical and scraped. But you'd think that a lot of the other toppings would also get into the bowl. 
really depends on the integrity of the pizza. Like I think without being there, we can only, you know, be the worst of sort of armchair pizza analysts in the situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. And we've had some experience with pizza and reality TV this week that has been quite strange. Are you going to say at least it was cooked? <laughs> that we know of. Uh, that looked like it looked like melted cheese. So uh, Jimmy does the best with five, Julia with four, Danielle with three, Nina with two, and Luke with one. So we get the first ever tie in Australian Taskmaster history. <laughs> so we had four disqualifications last week. We had one disqualification and a tiebreaker needed this week. Nina and Jimmy are at the top on 17. Again, if I hadn't looked and I hadn't been writing down the points uh, in my notes, I would have thought Danielle would have won. She got five full points for the first two. So I was quite surprised that both Nina and Jimmy slipped past her. Yeah, I agree. And even Luke in last place is not what I'd be expecting. But Mm. once again, I think it's similar to last week that Luke brought a lot of entertainment in the tasks, even though he wasn't performing the best, which sometimes clouds my judgment a little bit. So the tiebreaker is to clap as many times as possible in 60 seconds. I it's think fine. you've proved it in our notes document here where you've accidentally had the tiebreaker of clap as many Tims as possible in 60 seconds, yes. and that would have been really funny. Like if they just had a lineup of Tims just going like, high five, high five, high five. <laughs> that would have been a great tiebreaker, especially if not all of them were Tims. And if you yes. missed a Tim, you'd be qualified. And if you hit it, hits, oh, yeah, that'd be great. That's a because like, Tims and Toms. That'd be really fun based on how many Toms there are in the show's production. Mm. Tom Gleason has started in this episode calling Tom Cashman Tom 2. Not a fan, but uh, keep going. Keep working on the nicknames. Uh, Nina wins. Now, as far as I know, and I did do a a mild amount of research, winning the tiebreaker means you win the episode, but it doesn't give you more points. Is that Mm. how you understand it? Yes. So it just kind of decides who wins the episode, but the points total stay the same. So there's no points allocated to the tiebreaker. It can be kind of strange because they film tiebreakers for everyone. So then they kind of can just select the one for the episode to then potentially decide who they want to win, which is interesting. Are you you conspiracy theorizing? I I could be. Finger on the scale? No, I refuse to believe it. I'll take it if Nina wins the episode because I love Nina so far. (laughs) I had the idea that they probably had all the tiebreaker tasks and then they looked at them all and they, they ranked them all. They're like, this one's really good. We should definitely put this one in. Oh, this one's really good. We should definitely put this one in. It almost like, it, and it should be independent of even knowing what the results are. And then they're like, okay, well, if, we, if we're only going to get one tiebreaker in, we definitely want it to be. But I can't believe the clapping one was the best one. But yeah. I was surprised because when they first started describing it, it sounded like they were going to do it in studio, which I was like, this is strange. And then when they cut away to just them in the lab clapping, I was like, this is the simplest tiebreaker of all time. And I kind of wish we got more of the pain that I'd have of just the fatigue of clapping that much for that long, because that could have been funny, but I guess they were just short on time and it probably wasn't the most exciting overall. It was amusing that Jimmy missed, but he didn't realise that he missed so many of them until the actual in-studio when they pointed out uh, that he clapped uh, 352 claps and it would have been more if he hadn't missed a lot of them. It it, It was fine and Nina wins. So the season points total, Danielle is at the top with 32 and Luke is at the bottom with 22. So let's go to our superlatives. So most valuable player, Lisa. 
what was your most valuable player or who was your most valuable player for this episode? My most valuable player was Luke. I love him. When he was on the phone call and he couldn't seem to bear himself to be rude in a way that his parents would want to hang up the phone and the physical reactions he was having. I have been that person <laughs> just having these incredible physical reactions or internal reactions, but just being, See, oh no, do go on. Oh, this is amazing. I just, I, I love that guy so much. And go see the discomfort. Yeah he was going into when he was trying to like steer the conversation away but then that started a new topic and you see him just like moving his chair he would have one leg up he'd be hand on his chin just like really just like looking tense because he knew it wasn't going well but genuinely feeling horrible about trying to get them to hang up like and the fact that it kept going kept going kept going I saw Nina tweeting about that she wanted them to release the unedited 20 minutes because yes. it would just be comedy gold 34 <laughs> topics in 20 minutes. Good good for Mrs. Luke. He does uh, uh, mute himself at one point to ask Tom Cashman, is he allowed to make winding up noises? Like, well, mm, yeah. And Tom Cashman says, well, that'll be up to the taskmaster. And Luke dare not. I mean, he knows he's coming last, but which he didn't because there was a disqualification he didn't know was coming. But, yes, divine. Well, when he says... Um... And when his mum says, oh, we're going to go and see that new Avatar movie. And he's like, oh, well, I don't even know if that needed a sequel. Oh, but uh, let's not get into the weeds. Which is like, my password got hacked. He's like, oh, well, don't, don't say it out loud, just in case. It was so good. I also want to see the unedited footage. And there was some talk about, I think they're going to have dinner for his birthday. So, well, well don't, use up all, don't use up all the topics before we meet. It was very, it was... He's he's so funny. Uh, he he's my winner pick, but my most valuable player of this episode was Nina. Um, and what about you, Sean? So I had Luke as well for all of those reasons. That just that twenty minutes of phone call and the physical comedy, which seemed unintentional from Luke, just absolutely slayed me. And every week he just keeps delivering that fun, awkward humor that is strangely relatable. And least valuable player, unfortunately for me, it's Jimmy as it was for last week. I feel like there's a non-genuineness, which I talked about last week. I think he's performing very much. He wasn't doing so much reading out the tasks in a funny voice. But they're, yes, they are trying to be entertaining, but, but there has to be a genuineness to them. Lisa, what about you? Yeah, I had Jimmy as well. Like maybe... I'm just not gelling with him. Like, maybe I'm sure he's like an amazing guy. And like that umbrella stuff, I loved it. But yeah, just something about like, I don't know, like his, his volume and his, it's just sort of like shouting quite a lot, but that doesn't really make it engaging for me. I, I don't know. I'm just not quite, not quite gelling with him. Yes. I'm sort of yeah. waiting for him to relax or something. Yeah. It's like this weird energy that isn't fun, which is something mm. that like you expect, like, yeah, it's like his energy is about the competitive side, but often when people have that competitive energy, it somehow also is fun. I don't know how to fully explain it, but it just kind of is towing that line at the moment. And it might change as the series goes on and it gets more comfortable with the tasks. Nina, Danielle and Julia are all stand-ups. And I don't know if Luke's done stand-up, but he has done, you know, pan he's, he's very mm. quick on his feet. Jimmy is an actor who is being comedic. And I just I wonder if it's something in there. I haven't quite fully formulated my theory of Jimmy yet. Look, I, I, I hope 
and wish that that he does uh, relax into it and become more genuine because I'm sure there's a lot there. It's just I'm, I'm just like I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on and I stop drop the stuff and uh, just relax. Uh, and what about you, Sean? Who's your least valuable player? So it was close this week, but I think Jimmy with the umbrellas actually won me over a little bit. And Julia was getting a little bit too low effort on some of the tasks where it kind of went from the fact of sometimes low effort could be really funny, but with like the call a relative task, she had the low effort, the quick hang up. And then she, the way she said, well, that won't make great TV, but it was a great performance was in a dry, but not funny way to me. I found that that like often the low effort can be really funny in that it's the person trying to find the easiest way to succeed. And then they try and sell it to the taskmaster. But she was more just like, well, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm still, I do still enjoy her low effort. Yeah. Otherwise, I find it really good, like, especially in terms of the discussion of her agent and her career being quite low effort and Tom replying with, well, yeah, I've seen it. Um, but yeah, I just want a little bit more from that in terms of when it's low effort, like, really going into like overselling why it's low effort. I mean, well, maybe open like- 71 bags. How much more effort do you want? Yeah, there's almost like a vulnerability that's missing because, like, mm. I think about um, Ramesh from the season, season one of UK. A lot of his stuff, he was just like, oh, fuck it. Like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Ah, oh, this is so dumb. But it was like, that was all sort of, all, it was like a bit, but you really got the idea, ah, oh, this guy's like really sick of doing this. Like, he knows he's on TV, but he still just like cannot be bothered. And same with Joe Brand. Yep. Like, that seemed really real, but I don't know. It's just, with Julia, it just seems like it's just, hmm, I don't know. It's just like that little missing element of like, oh, yeah, she's really just over it, so she just can't be bothered. I don't know. i just like to know, see more from her or something. And I do uh, feel like with a lot of people in other series that I've seen that it does build over time that, like, by the time you get to episode five or six, you've really gotten into their character and you understand how that humour works and then it makes everything before seem a lot funnier because you're used mm-hmm. to that person's style of humour now. So I think it might just be a little bit of teething issues for us as viewers. Um, yes. But, yeah, at the moment it does just feel like that one little thing missing. And also maybe because we're commentating on it too, so we're we're putting it under a microscope that, you know, a casual Thursday night viewer is just going to sit and enjoy uh, what, is a, what is a very enjoyable show. I've been very pleased so far and uh, that's good. I mean, Ursula was the same, but she more had the air of low effort, but she actually cared and was a bit competitive. So it had a nice uh, sharpness to it there. Best task, Sean? So for me, I had the best task of, I went more for like the best task for entertainment value, which was the caller relative for me because both Luke and Danielle's was the biggest laugh that got for me the whole episode. Um, I thought the cat out of the bag was the best design task, but it just didn't lead to the same results for me overall. How about you, Sarah? Well, I thought cat out of the bag. I particularly liked Julia looking up and waving at the drone over and over again and just never taking that next step. That's what you hope you do in Taskmaster Lisa. For me, I think I hope I'd look under the table. I hope I would notice there was a grape in the book. I hope that I would think, why is there a drone? And I suspect I wouldn't. So I enjoyed um, Cat Out of the Bag. I thought it was visually interesting. I loved all the little animals that came out. And when it came to Julia with her 71 bags, it was just animal, 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 including uh, crabs. uh, They're quite hard to get rid of. So for me, that was the one. Uh, Best task for you? 
Uh, yeah, cat out of the bag. I absolutely love the way the editors put it together so the audience sort of got the reveal same time as some of the contestants and the way it was filmed and the, the different routes that people can take to getting the correct answer. I thought it was a fantastic task. Yeah. I mean, one of my favourite New Zealand tasks is uh, pumping the sunscreen as far as you can along the tarp which is just so simple and all the different ways that everybody goes about it is the is the pleasure of it I think and uh, while we're with you Lisa worst task the live task I very really enjoy those it just almost seems like a different show the the live task part of it to me sometimes I even like just fast forward through them I and also I don't really care about the points so I don't really mind who wins (laughs) (laughs) I only care about the points when it's a value judgment by the taskmaster. When yeah. it's you did a certain number and therefore you get a certain number of points, I'm I'm less interested. I do start to care a little bit more as we get later into the series and there's someone who hasn't won an episode yet and often there will be mm-hmm. a live studio task where if they win that, they'll finally win an episode. I feel like that really then does raise the stakes for that last little bit of points. Mm-hmm. For me, the worst task was the prize task. I think that... It was a reasonable prompt, not the best prompt in the world, but certainly not the worst, you know, the most satisfying thing to touch. But where it fell down for me was that I that really the things, three of the five things were not actually, I couldn't imagine being satisfied by touching them myself. So, uh, Sean, what about you? Yeah, I'd echo that, that with the prize task of just the misinterpretation of it, in my opinion, really made it not as enjoyable as it could have been with those satisfying things to touch where Lisa quite correctly pointed out earlier on that you want to be saying, ah, and not, ah, when they bring those tasks out. Yes. Ah. (laughs) We get to our quote of the week. Yes, I loved uh, Nina's spelling out, uh, you know, my heart is broken, as you said, Lisa, that sentimentality, and she was right on the edge of it, and was it cringe? And, of course, she beautifully undercut it in the studio by saying, yes, I wrote that because I cry when I masturbate is too long. (laughs) I love Nina. She's not my winner pick because before this all started I picked Luke, but, oh, that Nina is is really something. Any other quotes of the week? There was one from Julia in the cat out of the bag task that I've just remembered that the delivery of it made me laugh way more than I expected, where she pulled a a bear out of a bag that was wearing military uniform and just really dryly said, oh, it's a bear that's returned from war. She's funny. She's dry, 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 dry. And Lisa, did you have a quote you wanted to pull yeah, out? Yeah, I love um, almost everything Tom says, uh, Tom Tom Gleason, and he was talking about, uh, I think he was talking to Danielle after the phone task and he said, it's admirable how much you care for your family, but that counts for nothing on the show. Oh, divine. While we're to, while we're here, let's talk about how good is Tom Gleason. And I feel like he was great in episode one, and this episode he was even better in just how quickly he was to kind of cut the contestants down if they were trying to sell something that he didn't agree with, and being really tied to the letter of the law in terms of what the task is and what he expects from that. He was great. He's still great, and I believe he'll continue to be great. Yes, I was so pleased, Lisa, when you said that right away he satisfied you and you thought, yes, yes, he will he will, he will, will be our taskmaster. Dare you speak about the New Zealand taskmaster or would you rather not go on record? 
it's fine. Yeah, I I mean, I love uh, everything we've said about all the people today. Like, I, I love Taskmaster. I love all the people who go on it. I love them all giving it a go. I love their vulnerability, their imagination, just like sharing themselves with us. I think it's awesome. So I just want to start out by saying, you know, even if I'm saying some things that I'm like, oh, I'm not sure on you. I'm sure it's a me thing, not a them thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jeremy Wells, the New Zealand Taskmaster. He's, his career started in television when he was probably like a teenager or maybe in his early 20s. And he was part of this uh, duo called uh, Newsboy and Havoc. So he was Newsboy and Mikey Havoc was Havoc. And they had like a very sort of like spoofy, weird late night TV show. And, um, you know, sort of like awkward comedy, you know, go around and like meet people in small towns and just all sorts of random stuff. And so that's how I first met him. But over time, his career's obviously developed. And now he's like, he does like the 7 p.m., sort of like the project, but like a bit more stayed. You know, he did that for a while. He did like, um, yeah, sort of news. So now he's like somehow the sort of proper serious news person. But then he ended up being the taskmaster, which sort of seems like a good fit because he has this like weird humor, but he also has a serious persona. Yeah, but he's just, he's nice and he doesn't sort of get into it as much with the contestants as other taskmasters do i think maybe it's more you wanted to hear about the taskmaster of taskmaster new zealand especially if you've never watched taskmaster new zealand but anyway. no no we we're hanging on every on every word uh that was <laughs> i think that's a really good point though because in the different um ones now that we've got so taskmaster au and taskmaster new zealand very much in taskmaster new zealand Paul as the Taskmaster's assistant is the key kind of character in that show in terms of the running of it, the talking between tasks. Like he has a lot of character in that show. Whereas at the moment, Tom Cashman's been a lot smaller by comparison and Tom Gleason's really been the big character. And it's interesting to see those dynamics be so different, especially when production is shared pretty strongly mm. between the two shows. Yeah, it just yes. shows how much of an important thing personality is in the show and why it's such a good show and why it was such a good idea right from the start that it gives you this sort of, puts these arbitrary framework around just these cool people interacting. I, I said last week that, that Tom Cashman, you know, had done a, a fairly good job, but I was waiting and, but waiting very happily and very sure that he would step into the role. And I think I was already seeing more of that in this uh, episode uh, than I had before. And I mean, who knows what order things uh, were recorded in, the tasks were recorded in. But uh, yeah, I think this is a really good pairing. And I think it was, it's going to spark even more as we go. I do agree with something I think you said, Sean, um, in the last episode that uh, Tom's chair, that Tom, the, the yeah, Tom Cashman's chair, it's it's funny. It's a funny thing. I would like to see him have like a little throne. And yeah, with his blazer and his small chair, it really gives like a ventriloquist dummy vibe. I, <laughs> I get you on that. Yeah. I could actually picture that. Him. That would be a really good bit to start the show of Tom Cashman sitting on Tom Gleason's lap pretending to be a puppet would really tickle me. I actually really like Tom Cashman's little bit of intro chat this week where he just said there's going to be a lot of statistics and then said a time and a percentage and just said, if you thought they were funny now, just wait till you hear them in context. I thought that was a really funny bit. Yes. Well, one of them was 71, which is the amount of bags that Julia, Julia opened, I think. And I can't remember what the other one was. It was a time, two minutes and something. That might have been one of the phone calls. So, yeah, I think that might have been Jimmy's phone call. 
two minutes 25 jimmy calling his aunt nicely it was done, very Sean. funny how she was in the audience yes <laughs> and not afraid to shout out no it doesn't <laughs> call me very often <laughs> I wonder if she lives in New Zealand. Did she fly to New Zealand? Oh, that is another like um, hot take that I found out during the week, how people were criticising the first episode because they thought of there being canned laughter, and we discussed it a little bit last week. Mm. Apparently, the budget in terms of the um, studio and how it looks basically ends at the end of what we can see on the stage, and so the rest of it's just like chairs and people. And so <laughs> they don't, like even with the auntie there, you'd think they'd pan the camera to her, but apparently it looks so drab and so plain when the camera turns around that they're just never going to show the audience. That lush re redness, which is the Taskmaster signature, is just uh, so nice. So I can see why they didn't want to spoil that. What did we see in Next Time On and what do we think it means? I think I saw instruction cards. Now, I don't know if either of you have, a, have ever played a game called In the Manner Of... It's a sort of theatre game and it's you must eat a pizza in the manner of and then you name something, you know, a, a, a rat with a headache. or So it's a thing that you do but you're given like an attitude. So it seemed maybe something like that. So that's all I could glean. Did you glean, Sean, from what we saw? I didn't glean too much. I'm really hopeful that we might get our first team task next week because we haven't had one yet. And that could be something that would be add a great different element to the show, but I didn't get too much out of the next time on. How about you, Lisa? Um, yeah, I had I had a few ideas. Um, I think that the task where you saw the task cards, Sarah, it looked like the people were dressed up as the Taskmaster's assistant. So I wonder if they have to either audition for the role of Taskmaster's assistant or try and impersonate Tim while doing these different cues that was my guess Ooh, I and like it that. also it also looked like there was a task where they had to try and get something into something from far away because some people were up on the balcony some people were on the ground some people had string so yeah that's a very common taskmaster task you know get this egg into the egg cup but you know you can't go closer than 20 meters to the egg cup or furthest away from the egg cup wins or or something like that and also i saw jimmy playing cricket I don't know if that can be part of the same task or if that's a different thing. Well, I had ball games, question mark. <laughs> mm, yeah. Quite literal yeah. in that interpretation. Well, yes, he's, he's giving it a good rub. Uh, it, it might just, <laughs> you, you, you never know. So, I, I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm waiting to see tasks that I recognise and, and getting, getting something into something else far away mm. is a bit of a signature of Taskmaster. So I think, uh, I mm. think that, that I said the thought, very one task that I love from New Zealand that I really hope they bring in in some way is the idea of a task where the contestants don't know what they're trying to do. There was one where they had to compliment each other and they scored points every time they complimented each other. And I love those kind of tasks where they slowly discover what they need to do or, in the case of that task, never discover what they were meant to do and then find out when they were back in the, the live studio talking about it. Something like that. I think Lee and, Angela, oh, Lee and Angela did work out that that's what they were doing, I think. Or, or the, one of the teams worked it out, yeah. but their time exactly. wasn't actually that much faster than the team. <laughs> because it took them a while. There's another one yeah. where they have red and white discs on the grass and you've got to get to the gate and they unless they were buzzed out and they couldn't figure out 
why they were buzzed out. And it was quite a complex set of you had to talk. You couldn't say something with the letter T in it. I love all that. I love us knowing and them not knowing. I think that and, and value judgments are, are my favourite things. So anything more about this episode before we start to close out? One thing I heard for a task that's coming up in the rest of the season is I was listening to an interview with the series director during the week and he was mentioning there's one task that may be the longest task in Taskmaster history Ooh. where they were recording it on a Friday afternoon or evening and for the last person they were recording it with, they had to offer them to come back on Monday to complete it because it was going on for so long. Mm. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that is and if it's an issue with the task or an issue with the contestant trying to complete the task. What's your guess? I feel like it will be, I, I believe the director said that the task was just more complex than they realised and so it might just be taking the contestant a long time to complete it. <laughs> Look forward to that. Lisa, do you have a winner pick at this point they don't yeah they're all good they're all good i love them all no i don't oh, like can i hurt luke wins oh there you go but he's not my, that's, he's that's not my called a pick. winner pick no he's not my winner pick i'm not having assessed all the statistics and variables and decided oh, that he's yes, the most likely to win my yes. heart just wants him to win just hope he has a really good time Yes. Well, he's my winner pick and Nina is Sean's and we have picked and we are not changing. But uh, I, I'm very fond of them all, I have to say. So next week we'll be talking about episode three and we'll be joined by Tasmanian writer, actor and bon vivant, Gabriel Adkins. So tune in for that. Lisa, what have you got going on and where can the people find you? Um, people can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Lisa Stanger, S-T-A-N-G-E-R. And um, I post a lot of dronies. Oh, do you just? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a fashionable thing. <laughs> do you have a drone of your own or are you stealing drones? Uh, I can't. I can't. I can't comment on that on the podcast. <laughs> So put me on crime scene. Talk about that one. Okay. Well, you've got your deer stalker. Are you ready? Are your drones the things that keep getting shut down? <laughs> you didn't fly a balloon recently, did you? Well, uh, this interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's stormed off. Sean, what have you got going on and where can people find you? So you can follow us at a dash of gingers on Twitter to keep up with all our Taskmaster AU coverage. And you can follow me at Sheen O'Brien on Twitter where I just tweet a whole lot of dumb jokes and memes about Australian Survivor at the moment, which apparently we're going to get the greatest episode of all time on Sunday. And various commentators who have seen the screener early are confirming that that's true of all Survivor, which is kind of exciting. And then also just watching The Last of Us and trying to be someone who just tweets a lot of dumb jokes for my own amusement. How about you, Sarah? What's going on with you? Well, I'm looking forward to the greatest tribal council in Survivor history. I did worry that it was going to be just Sue making her big move finally, but we do hear <laughs> on the on the grapevine that it from from critics and commentators who have screeners that it is indeed great. So we look forward to that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. I host a weekly true crime review podcast called Crime Scene, S-E-E-N, on RHAP with the great Murray Forth. I'm also writing about Australian Survivor. You can find my articles over at Inside Survivor. So that's it until episode three. Please send us your comments and questions on Twitter at A Dash of Gingers. Thanks, Lisa, for joining us. And remember, 
All the information you need is in the task. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.